Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at belief? Hi again, everyone. This is the 23rd episode of the Lovable Podcast. This episode is all about opinions, opinionated people, and how to go deeper than our opinions in order to form true belonging. You see, we wear our opinions like armor, and this week we're going to talk about how to take a little more of that armor off so we can truly connect. Before we get rolling, though, do you want a free ebook about marriage, a free sample of a book about your relationship to yourself and to others, and some free weekly content, including my blog posts and podcast episodes? If so, go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com, and sign up in the right sidebar. In your introductory email, you'll get the free books, and then each week you'll get one email, just one email every week, with the rest of that free content. And of course, if you want more than just a sample of that book about your relationship to yourself and others, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. Lovable is available everywhere in paperback, digital, and audio, and uh, you can get it wherever books are sold. So, you know, go grab a copy from your favorite place to buy books. All right, it's time to get into this week's episode. Let's talk about our opinions and the stories that are underneath them. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 22 of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, which is entitled Putting Stories Before Opinions. This week, we're going to talk about how we wield our opinions as a method of hiding and protecting ourselves, and how we can begin to reveal ourselves instead by sharing our stories. This is one more step toward revealing our true self and cultivating true belonging by fully showing up in our relationships. Before we take this next step though, let's pause and hear from you about the previous steps we've taken, including embracing our true self, stepping out from behind our ego walls, relearning our relationship to anger, and setting healthier boundaries. While you are thinking about what you might want to share, uh, let me uh, share with you something that happened just this morning. Um, You know, again, in, in, in recent weeks, like just last week, we were talking about how to recognize that underneath our anger, underneath our protective ego cannons, um, is that tender, scared part of us, right? And uh, that we want to do as much as we can to connect with that tender and scared part in us and in others, rather than engaging in this angry um, back and forth escalation. And so this morning, I like, uh, the coffee pot wasn't working, and I totally lost my mind. Uh, and I was angry at the coffee pot, and I was so frustrated, and I was acting like a maniac. And uh, But within five minutes, I was able to, to say to my wife, you know, sorry for that uh, craziness. I am totally overwhelmed by my day. Um, I'm totally overwhelmed by everything I've got to do. 
in order to wrap up things here and get us out the door for spring break and uh, just sort of bubbled up in the form of anger. And, and so last week that was the idea, is that we wanted to be paying attention to those moments of anger in us and those moments of anger we see around us and just try to as quickly as possible find our way back to that, that more vulnerable feeling of anxiety underneath it. Um, and it's always there if we are patient and attentive long enough and almost always the confession or the recognition of that more tender part of us leads to an interaction that involves our true self more than our false self. So that's why we wanted to do it. So just happened this morning. Uh, didn't know what I was going to share today, but that's, that's what came up for me. Heather writes, I just want to say it's been a better week. Last week I was struggling. This week the walls are down again. Isn't that something, Heather? How week to week it shifts. Um, and, you know, I think... I think that's okay. I think that the the task is to not um, pile on ourselves in those weeks where the walls are back up and we're feeling more vulnerable and we're we're more protective. The task is not to to beat ourselves up. It's to tune into ourselves, to watch it, to learn from it, um, and then to sort of delight in it when oh wow, this week's different. I'm uh, and, and and really that that's that's the way it will go if we don't pile on ourselves, right? If we just let the natural ebb and flow of our inner world happen, then some weeks we're going to feel more vulnerable, other weeks we're going to feel more secure. Um, it's, it's when we pile on ourselves in those moments of vulnerability that we sort of anchor ourselves in that week. So I trust, Heather, that you are feeling in a better place this week because you, you did a pretty good job of not piling on yourself. Deb W writes, so good to hear, Heather. We all have bad moments. Happy to hear it has passed. Um, and absolutely. And, and to in, the, in this moment, to go and it will return as well, right? There's this ebb and flow of our ego protections and our ability to be um, vulnerable and to reveal our true self and, and to go, okay, it's gonna come back. I'm gonna have another bad week. And when it does, I can, I can sort of know that's what's happening and I can begin to trust the ebb and flow. Um, and that as long as I'm not heaping criticism on myself for that or shaming myself further for that, I will flow back into a better week. So yeah, let's, uh, let's really embrace the ebb and flow of that. Deb W writes, for me, my hubs has been having a frustrating week at work and anger has been the first emotion that bubbles up from him. We've been able to chat our way through it and get to the actual emotions underneath and it deals with him feeling disrespected. Oh, thanks for sharing that, Deb. What a, what a beautiful example of, um, you know, he comes home frustrated and angry uh, you get frustrated and angry because maybe you feel disrespected or unappreciated. Um, and so the, 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 the fighting, the, the negative escalation ensues, right? Versus saying, okay, let's talk about this. Let's, let's figure out what's going on underneath the surface of this. Now he has a chance to be vulnerable and show up with his true self and say, I'm feeling disrespected. And you get a chance to, to see, to see your hubby underneath all the frustration. And, uh, and that's a beautiful thing and a beautiful example for us. So thank you for sharing it. One of the things we're going to be talking more about today is um, doing more of that, um, trying to go underneath the surface of the relationship event um, to try to understand the story that's sort of underpinning um, what is on the surface. Brenda writes, I was preparing lunch and listening to my daughter talk last week. I suddenly latched on to a trigger topic and spewed words. I was stopped abruptly with her steely gaze, her raised eyebrows, and the dead silence. I was a bit shocked and disoriented by my own reaction. Um, wow, that's that, that your that your daughter's true self was sort of able to show up, and 
set what is essentially a really graceful boundary, like, really, mom? <laughs> and that you were able to receive that, right? And, uh, and, and, and maybe be disoriented, um, but, in, but still reflective to not immediately get defensive and barrel on, but to look at your own reaction and, uh, and entertain it and, and, and look at it. Wow, that's, that to me is a powerful example of how true belonging gets built. Um, your daughter showing up with her boundary and you stepping back and, uh, and taking an honest look at what you're doing. I think that's beautiful. Sonali writes, hello all, joined a little late. I like the phrase graceful boundary. Thanks, Brenda, for sharing. Yeah, thanks, Sonali, for, for being here. It's good to see you again. And, uh, and yeah, I think, I think, Brenda, we're all grateful for that story. Um, some of the times where I've learned the most about myself and uh, how I work and how I am as a parent is just those moments where my kids have um, had the courage to, to say no uh, and... I've had to go, wait a second, they're right. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> and you get to learn a little bit more about yourself. Brenda writes, she stepped back to square off, tipped back on her left foot and questioned me, why did you go there? I wasn't saying anything about abuse. What's up with that? Oh, Brenda, that is beautiful. Um, quite a young, young woman that you are raising there. Brenda writes, I simply responded, I don't know why that just happened and I don't understand it right now. I'll think about it later. I'm sorry. I missed what you were really saying. Would you please try to repeat yourself to me again? And she did. I agree, Kelly. She is remarkable. Holy cow. If, if, if all of us are sort of looking for kind of, can you give me an example of what true belonging looks like? <laughs> Brenda, I think you've just given us the gift of a really, of a really beautiful example um, of someone who's um, being vulnerable and showing their true self. Somebody else responds um, from this more protected place. The person then gracefully calls them out on it. <laughs> the person who is protective says, wow, you're right. I'm not sure. I don't understand it. Can you say it again? I was missing it. Um, and, uh, and then that person is willing to stay there in that space and try again to be vulnerable and share. You add up moments like that <laughs> over the course of a relationship and over the course of a lifetime, and, uh, and you have what we call true belonging. That's beautiful. Thank you. Sherry writes, I had a very painful conversation this week where I was on the receiving end of someone else's anger. Because of this lovable journey, I'm able to see the anger as a good thing, even though it came out in an aggressive manner that produced pain. I want to give room and time for the anger to serve a healthier purpose, connection and wisdom. That's a, that's a, great, a great summary, Sherry. And I think that the, the balance we're seeking in that moment is to be able to, um, to, to hold on to our worthiness, um, and from that sense of worthiness, care for ourselves, set our own boundaries in ways that um, are, are about caring for ourselves, but also to respect um, that there's something to learn from this person's anger. There's something that's going on underneath it that we can begin to understand a little bit better. Um, so I'm so glad that I'm glad that this journey is taking you to that place of connection and wisdom about how to how to take care of yourself and how to respond to others. Sonali writes, "I find it challenging to do boundaries gracefully." Um, you know, that's, that is the central challenge, I think, the central challenge of true belonging is um, not to go to the extreme of not having any boundaries um, and not to go to the extreme of a, a distorted form of grace, um, right, that says there are no boundaries and, and uh, um, the only way to be graceful is to never have a voice. Um, but then there's the other extreme, right? 
which is it's all about boundaries. It's all about um, in whatever in whatever way I need to do to protect myself and set my limits. Um, and instead, this middle ground where we find ways to set boundaries gracefully. And I think one of the key elements of setting boundaries gracefully is um, is this awareness that both people in the interaction are equally worthy. Um, equally worthy of love and belonging, equally worthy of being treated well. Um, and so what does it look like as I set boundaries to treat myself and the other person equally well? Um, and that can begin to sort of open up the door to new ways of, of thinking about setting boundaries. Sonali writes, I think I end up being too aggressive on the other person when trying to, to put boundaries. Yeah, I think those are the two extremes, Sonali. It's the um, either being too aggressive, so overprotecting oneself, uh, or being too passive, sort of giving too much of a pass <laughs> to the other person and not protecting oneself at all, not caring for oneself at all. So really, truly finding that middle ground is the, is the work of belonging. Sonali writes, this is a very helpful conversation. It is new to me to think of having and communicating boundaries as leading to more connection and belonging. I used to think of boundaries merely as a means of self-protection. Yep, that's uh, Sonali. I think you've just sort of articulated the shift that we are wanting to make that in these months of loving, as we're calling them, where we're focusing on cultivating true belonging, um, we're actually focusing on not on having on removing our boundaries so that we can be connected, but on having healthy boundaries so that we can be connected with others in the midst of everyone's healthy boundaries. Um, that that's what true belonging really looks like. So it is that's the it's exactly the shift that we're wanting to to cultivate here in these months. Deb F writes, yes, boundaries, very difficult to set after not having them for so long. People don't seem to appreciate them. <laughs> well, Deb, and we talk about this in Lovable, uh, right? That when you begin to set healthy boundaries, graceful boundaries, um, you begin to discover which people were around because you didn't have boundaries and which people were around because of you. Um, and, and that can be a very painful part of cultivating belonging. We talk about how uh, our, our circles of belonging tend to shrink before they get bigger, because we do begin to shed some of those people who are around us simply because they were benefiting from our lack of boundaries. Um, but then the people who go, look at you, good for you for taking care of yourself, good for you for saying no. I love that you said no to me on that one. I appreciate that, that helps. I like people who I can trust are being authentic. You know, These are the people who then um, we form an even deeper sense of connection with. Um, and so it's a smaller group of people at first, um, but it's a truer group of people. Oh, so good. Why don't we Why don't we transition to this? Really, this week's reading is um, is truly following right on the heels of of everything we're talking about here. So let's let's get into this week's reading. And I'm not going to give it any huge connection um, this week to lovable. Suffice it to say that uh, the way that this week's reading sort of ties into everything we've been discussing is that we've been talking about our ego walls behind which we hide our ego cannons from which we are aggressive and, and, uh, and more violent um, or more divisive. And then ego thrones. This, this week is a way of getting into talking about our ego thrones because there's a really subtle way that we sort of protect ourselves by sitting up on our ego thrones. And that way, I think, is our opinions. Um, you know, <laughs> um, we, we live in an increasingly opinionated world um, where opinions are thrown around and traded um, at an incredibly high volume. And we understand, because we haven't had the opportunity, we understand almost zero about how those opinions were formed and the stories that underlie those opinions. 
Um, and so we can sort of sit up on our ego throne saying, this is what I believe and this is what I think and this is my opinion and I'm right. And we don't ever have to get down off of that ego throne and be vulnerable and say, oh, by the way, this opinion arises out of this pain. Um, this opinion arises out of this brokenness in my story um, or out of this healing in my story from this brokenness. Um, and so today we're going to talk about how to begin to trade in our opinions for stories. Um, and why don't we get into that right now? Week 22, putting stories before opinions. The most extreme conflicts conclude with bullets flying and bombs dropping, but the vast majority of conflicts in our world don't make the CNN scroll. They begin with far more subtle differences of opinion and they destroy relationships and community. Siblings fight over, well, everything. Teenagers fight over the best ways to feel liberated. In marriages, spouses constantly disagree about who is giving more to the relationship and the peaceful community within those four walls is splintered. In our churches, parishioners disagree about how to worship or which people deserve to be loved, and eventually a bunch of them start a new community, church community down the block. In our workplaces, we disagree about how frequently to meet or whose projects should get funded, and the cubicle walls become like prison cells, everyone in their own solitary confinement. In our nation, we slander anyone with a different political ideology. We do it via commercials, debates, social media, and dinner table conversations, and we become a national community in gridlock. Differences between people create tension, discomfort, and fear. Tension leads to conflict, and conflict results in distance at best and violence at worst. All of it becomes fatal to relationships and connectedness and the belonging we so badly desire. Conflict kills community, but it doesn't have to. In fact, sometimes conflict can be the beginning of authentic community. And Brenda, I think you just gave us a beautiful example of that, actually. Several years ago, I stumbled into a particularly heated marijuana debate between two acquaintances, not a couple of half-baked high school kids raging against the man, but two highly educated professionals. One man was militantly in favor of legalizing marijuana, the other man violently opposed to it, and they wanted my opinion. I remember feeling a sense of dread, like I was wading into dangerous waters with hungry things swimming beneath the murky surface. The debate did not go well. They never do. Only later on the way home did I get a glimpse beneath the surface of those ideological waters. My wife explained that the legalization advocate had recently watched his father die, a slow and excruciating death from cancer, while marijuana was the only thing that relieved his father's pain. And, as it turns out, the marijuana opponent had been raised in a family torn apart by drug addiction. That's when I realized what was floating beneath the surface of these competing ideas. Stories. The stories of two hurting people, stories of pain and anguish and loss, stories that have formed their ideas and opinions and beliefs, stories that have delivered them to a natural conclusion about the way the world should work. A person's ideas are never, never simply their ideas. Opinions and beliefs are never born in a vacuum. They are the logical result of our experiences. Every opinion is a story in disguise. The intensity of any given opinion usually depends upon the intensity of the story that gave rise to it. If you want to understand a person's ideas, you need to understand who they are and the story that has been told with their lives. Every belief is a story turned into a worldview. As a therapist, I've learned this from the small and hidden community of two that is the therapy room. For many of us, therapy is the first experience of a relationship that can graciously bear the burden of disagreement without distance or violence. In this space, we may express an opinion or value that directly opposes the beliefs of our therapist. Yet the therapist does not respond defensively or with a desire to change or alter. Instead, the therapist responds with a gentle curiosity, with a desire to understand the story that gave birth to our belief. 
This spirit of curiosity and gentle exploration is disarming. We no longer have to respond with reflexive defensiveness. In the safe space that is created, we can piece together the origins of our beliefs. Whereas before the need to quickly and effectively defend ourselves obscured our life story, we now develop a deep, wise understanding of the ways that we were formed. We discover that we can have opinions, and so can others. We don't need to hide them fearfully, but we also don't need to wield them violently. And in doing so, we become a people inviting others into the fullness of their own stories. We become walking storybooks, differently shaped and differently believing sometimes, but nonetheless writing new chapters of our lives together. We discover that conflict need not be the death of relationship and belonging. It can be the birth. Because in the end, every conflict is merely a clash of conflicting stories. Places of belonging are not comprised of identically-minded people. Authentic belonging happens when a group of people, a group as small as two, with a vast array of opinions and differences, refuses the temptation to do violence to each other's philosophy or worldview. In a place of true belonging, people and their stories are considered more valuable than being right or feeling validated. I hope we settle for no less in our friendships and families and neighborhoods and in our communities of faith and townspeople and countrymen. I hope we disagree. I hope we reveal our stories, and our hope, I hope our places of belonging are made true. Sonali writes, every opinion is a story in disguise. Maybe you can start a series of quotable quotes by Kelly. <laughs> um, to me, that is a, that's, a, that's a pithy way of sort of summarizing what we're talking about. Every opinion is a story in disguise. Um, and, and I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to think. I don't want to portray this. This isn't about saying opinions are bad. It's not about saying that um, there isn't deep, con like, deep, even holy conviction and authenticity to our beliefs and our worldview, and our faith and our our uh, our, our political hopes. Even um, that th those things are all good. Um, but it's how we wield those opinions. Um, do I? Do, do I, are my opinions or my beliefs, are they opportunities to reveal the depth of myself and my story to other people, or do I use them as sort of armor, right, to keep myself hidden? Um, you'll get to see my opinions, but you're not going to get to see anything else of me. Um, that's really, that's really what we're talking about here. And in social media, for instance, makes it so easy to wield opinions like armor. In fact, it's hard to really do much of anything else. I mean, how in, how in 140 characters, or however many characters it is now, are you going to find out anything more than a summary of someone's opinion, right? Um, and so we're talking about having true belonging. And, and I, I even throw out the idea of, and we'll, we'll talk more about this in the practice, is what if we said, um, in, until I understand the story behind your opinion, I don't know that I can really even... Um, I can't understand your opinion. <laughs> I can't really offer my own opinion because I don't know what sort of um, story I'm speaking it into. Um, I can think of countless times in my life where I've sort of impulsively shared um, an opinion, not as a way to connect, but as a way to, to try to change somebody or prove something to somebody, and only later to hear about their story and go, oh my gosh, that must have been so hurtful for me to share my opinion in that way given what they've been through, right? And so this is about sort of um, not wielding our opinions in that way, um, but, but using them as doorways into a greater understanding of each other. Deb F. writes, I developed the sense long ago when dealing with a very opinionated coworker who could not budge, who would not budge. Would I rather be right or would I rather be happy? 
She was a miserable, lonely person because she could not ever be wrong, bend, or even listen to another person's opinions. And Deb, you're you're sort of getting at already um, something that we're going to be talking about in this week's practice, that if there's a litmus test for belonging, you know, for the potential for belonging, if there's a litmus test for is, is there a capacity here for true belonging to form between me and this person, it's... Are they, are they willing to enter into a mutual sharing of our stories? Um, and if all I ever get is opinion, and that opinion is, is sort of worn like armor, um, and there's no indication that this person's ever gonna want to take that armor off and, and really show me what's going on underneath that, um, then the capacity for true belonging may not be there. It's not to say that that person lacks a capacity for true belonging. Um, it's it just to say that it might not be with me. For, for whatever reason, whatever's going on here, it's, it's not happening. Maybe that person's going out and there's somebody that they do sense is safe to take that armor off with and to share their story rather than their opinions, but it's just not here. So it's a bit of a litmus test. Is this person willing to do this with me? Am I willing to do that with them? Deb W. writes, the story of the heated debate speaks to the fear underneath the anger that you talked about last week. That's a challenge to see the story behind the opinion. Yeah, I, th I, think, I, think, you're, I think they're connected. You're right, Deb, because, you know, <laughs> how often... In, in, for instance, in social media, do you see an opinion shared in a way that communicates a sense of vulnerability and fear? Um, you don't. You see a, a, an opinion shared that is adamant, um, is absolutely certain, and has a tinge of aggressiveness and anger to it. Um, and so, yeah, so we're talking about how do we get at, how do we get at the vulnerability, the tenderness, the brokenness, the mess, the story underneath that, that heated opinion or heated debate? Um, so that we can truly connect with the person rather than sort of trying to, to debate their opinion. Julia writes, curiosity going beyond our own stories seems essential. Uh, yeah, at this, like curiosity is a great word. Um, I, don't know that, I don't know that true connection is possible without curiosity. Um, I also, uh, I, I wrote this down this morning, we have to be constantly willing to be surprised. Uh, because when we hear an opinion from somebody, we immediately begin to form an idea about who they are. Um, and so even if they want to share their story with us, if we hold on to that initial prejudice prediction about who they are, um, we're not going to be a very safe place to, to share their story with. They're going to want to put their armor, their opinion armor on back, back on again really quickly. So we have to enter into that moment of connection with a willingness to be surprised by their story. Um, and curiosity is really kind of... It's the tool with which we allow ourselves to be surprised. Heather writes, it's so true. I've got pretty strict boundaries with mom due to her rather strident opinions and stories regarding all kinds of things. Specifically on social media, it's most painful, almost painful to follow her. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one thing that, and I've never really thought about it this way, Heather, that really makes me hopeful for this generation and coming generations, which is I think in previous generations, um, baby boomers as parents, even Gen Xers to some extent, um, they thought their job was was to be a parent, and that as a parent you didn't you didn't practice vulnerability with your own kids. You didn't tell them any part of your story, right? And so that so in many ways, um, it was it was difficult to cultivate true belonging with parents who felt like as a parent their job was to not not share what was underneath the opinion. And I, I see that changing. I see that in my generation and, and in the generation of younger parents who are coming up. Now, of course, we don't want to burden our kids with our story. Um, they got enough anxiety of their own. We don't want to uh, put them in, in the position of being responsible for managing our story or, or any of that. But at moments, we're sharing it. 
and being vulnerable about the story that underlies um, what what gives rise to our opinion or a particular boundary. Um, I think that I think that the potential for belonging in families between parents and children grows as that happens. So I hope that's what's happening as as uh, the generations are progressing. Heather writes, my sister and I try very hard to be kind to her opinions, but we also tend to not allow her to go on a tangent when she's with us. Um, yeah, I, you know, Heather, you're getting, you're getting at something that is so complicated, which is um, when we are in relationship with people who we don't feel like there's a huge capacity for true belonging, and yet um, because of the... <laughs> because we're family or because we're in a workplace or because um, we're in a social situation, you know, our kids are friends or whatever, what do you do? How do you handle those relationships in which you sense true belonging is not possible and yet you're going to be, be continuing in relationship with this person? Um, and it might be, I mean, gosh, that might be a, a podcast episode for a different day. Maybe that's a direction that I can actually take one of our future episodes in because we we all experience that right with with family and acquaintances and coworkers. What do we do in those moments? It's a it's a great question. Heather writes, "I'm a Gen X parent, and you're right. Being vulnerable with my kids hasn't happened until they were nearly grown. It's definitely about connection and doing it correctly and honoring both parties." Um, yeah, I think of a, just a small example of um, of of this. You know, with young kids, uh, I think my wife has done a really good job of gracefully saying to our kids, you know, when they're complaining about dinner every night, like, you know, I work really hard to to make a meal for you that I, I think you'll like if you'll give it a try. Um, and so when you immediately resist it or tell me you don't like it without giving it a chance, um, it makes me feel sort of defeated about all the effort that I put in. And uh, and so I'm okay if you don't eat it, but can you can you please not? pile on <laughs> with those opinions and it's uh it's been it's been really sweet to watch the kids sort of go oh wait mom's a human um oh yeah uh if i if i worked really hard on something you know if i brought home homework from school <laughs> and uh and you know immediately someone said Ugh, i don't even want to look at that right how would that feel um and so i do think that there's more of a, a give and take beginning to happen um and at an earlier age it's important to do it in healthy ways right um without shaming our kids for having their own opinions and, and such but um but anyhow i think it's it's happening more and more and it's possible deb w writes i agree about the different generations being vulnerable in a healthy way i think Brene brown speaks to this in daring greatly almost to no fault of their own it's the world they grew up in yeah that's and that's something i feel like that's that's part of the graceful piece, right? Is going, uh, you know, this is this is the culture that that um, this is how they were taught to do parenting, both by watching their peers do it, by having watched their parents do it, by a culture that said it's it's way better to to go up and put on a good show, right, than to get up and be vulnerable about what's not working behind the scenes, um, and so to to kind of accept that that's that's part of what's going on there. I think it's it's important and that that's changing for us as parents. We're realizing that that's not what this generation is is as comfortable with. Sherry writes, this is so very helpful and has given me a lot to think about in connecting with young adult children who are trying to find independence in wielding opinions as armor. I don't want to be reactive, but it's a struggle. Yep, um, and that's the that's the tension, Sherry, is that. 
when the opinion is being wielded as armor, especially by somebody you really care about, you're like you're you're desperate to see the outcome go well for your own kids, right? That the the the, the temptation is to have that that armor, that opinion as armor, sort of trigger your own armor or your own weapons, your own. And, and what's usually going on underneath the surface of that is I'm anxious. Um, I don't feel like I have any control over you. I don't feel like I'm going to have any influence over you. And so we get anxious and then we go to those things that are more protective or aggressive. So just being able to um, create spaces where even when the, the opinions are being used as armor, we create spaces where we invite just a, just a little bit of that armor to be taken off so that we can, can have an authentic conversation. I think that's the challenge. Okay, so let's talk about this week's practice now and how to take one practical step toward taking off our opinions and showing our stories instead. I'm eager to hear kind of your reactions to this week's idea. Here it is. Week 22 practice. In the last few weeks, we have focused on understanding the reasons we feel lonely and the ways we hide and protect. Also, we have begun to identify people with whom true belonging might actually be possible if we can risk the adventure of revealing ourselves. This week, we are going to take that a step further. The decision about whether or not to form a place of belonging with someone is not, do they agree with me on this or that particular issue? Here are better questions to ask. Number one, are they willing to step graciously into disagreement with me? Number two, do they have the courage to go deeper than the surface of their opinions and risk sharing the story that lies underneath them? Number three, do they have the patience and tenderness to be an audience for my story? Some people will not be willing to share their story or to hear yours. Some people will hide behind their opinions. Others, in contrast, will share your hunger for authentic belonging. This week, choose one person about whom you can answer yes to these questions above. Invite them out for a meal or a cup of coffee. Tell them you are specifically interested in hearing more of their story, especially the parts that have shaped their opinion about the big things, like religion and politics, etc., Assure them you will not judge them or argue with them. Let them know you are interested in the kind of relationship that transcends such things. When they are done, ask them if you can summarize what you heard, because their story is important, and you want to make sure you understand it as clearly as possible. Give it the attention and care it deserves. If they are interested in reciprocating, it's quite possible you've discovered a place of belonging. So this is a very formal way to begin to, um, you know, we've, we've, talked about sort of beginning to identify the people with whom you can can move a little bit further into cultivating this true belonging, move a little bit further into revealing your true self. Um, and so this is a way to just move a little bit closer in relationship to exploring, um, are, are, you, are you going to be willing to reveal your true self? Are you going to be interested in my true self? Can we get beneath the, uh, the smokescreen of our opinions uh, long enough to do that. And so you're picking someone who you think will. Um, and this might be, you know, it, it's sort of, this might be a spouse. It, you know, it might be, uh, you know, um, we've never really sat down and formally kind of, can, I know a lot about you and your past, but I've never formally connected that to how you formed your, your beliefs and opinions. And um, it could be anybody. Um, but it's the person with whom you think you have a good shot of this this sort of interaction being really encouraging to both of you. So that's the idea. Deb W. writes, I love that quote. When given the choice between being right or being kind, choose kind. My kids hear this a lot from me. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a... Thanks for bringing us back to that, Deb, and, and thanks for, for having mentioned it. Um, the uh, The ego wants to be right. Um, the, 
uh, the true self wants to be in connection. Um, and that's not about becoming a doormat or becoming passive or thinking you're always wrong. It's simply saying that the priority gets flipped a little bit, <laughs> right? And in this moment, um, I'm going to emphasize connection over correctness and, uh, and, and, and act from that. And I think that that's, I think it's a, it's a pretty good reversal to be focusing on. And that quote really captures it. So thank you. Deb F writes, I think that if you have the connection, you don't have to worry so much about the correctness. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's true that, <laughs> um, in, so in marital research, um, when you have couples who come into um, to the laboratory to discuss an ongoing conflict in their relationship, and uh, and then you you have them discuss the conflict in a way that is conducive to connection, what you discover is that about fifty percent of the time they never need to switch into problem solving and fixing the the problem because the problem itself was a lack of connection, um, and then getting it right or fixing the problem didn't matter so much. Um, so I think there's some truth to that. Um, that you know. We're good at being correct. <laughs> We're not so great at being connected. And so let's focus and pour our energy into that connection piece. And then from there, the, uh, the, the finding our way to correction and to correctness will, will begin to get a lot easier and maybe even take care of itself. Julie writes, you're brilliant with honoring the individual story while on a structural level, I'm like, but people mistake their opinions for universal facts. Um, I, again, I, I, I come back to that idea of I, I think it's possible even to have an opinion that you assume is a universal fact, um, but if you wield that opinion in such a way that it's a protection, that you use what you now believe is a universal fact to protect yourself, to, um, to try to change other people, to make them feel less than, that's a problem. Um, but I think it's possible to wield opinions that are universal facts, even in ways that cultivate connection. Um, I think that that tension is possible, that that paradox is actually, um, you know, um, where, some of the, where some of the most beautiful belonging happens. Um, once, once someone makes the leap to this opinion of mine, I believe is universally true, um, are they able to still hold that opinion lightly um, and with tenderness and with vulnerability? Or does it become, well, since it's universally true, and I believe that now, um, now it becomes a club to hammer people with. Um, I think that that can still happen in either direction. Heather writes, what Julie said, opinions that are framed as universal facts, when they really aren't, how to connect with those are so hard. Um, I go back to the idea that, um, that uh, I think it's true that when a, an opinion gets sort of... Um, makes the leap into a universal fact for somebody that it's much easier to turn that universal fact into a club to beat people with, to, to have victory over people with. Um, and the, the onus is on us. If something that we believe is universally true, I'll give you an example, right? I, I say this in the, in, in lovable, I think it's universally true that all human beings have shame. Um, so now if someone comes to me, and says, no, I don't have any shame. Um, I can now wield that opinion, which I believe is universally true. I can wield that as a, as a club and say, yeah, you do. You, you know, I could do some horrible things with that, right? Or you're just not having the courage to look at it. Uh, yeah, you're in denial. 
you know, um, or I can in that moment um, make an effort to take my universal fact, set it aside, focus on connection, um, and understand more about how that person uh, defines shame, <laughs> um, uh, what what experiences uh, that I would think of as shame that person has had, but that didn't internalize as shame. You know, so like I think that there's a lot of capacity, even when we believe something is true for most or all of us. Um, there's a lot of capacity still to cultivate connection there. If the ego isn't using that opinion to, to create divisiveness and to elevate us up on this ego throne. Deb F writes, yes, I've been beaten with too many clubs in my lifetime. When I sense that, I'm like, no thanks and move on. Yep. Brenda writes, how do you lead people to tell you their story instead of beating others up with their opinions? Um, good question. Short answer, Brenda, is that you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you invite other people to tell you their story and you invite them as long as you can do so in a way that's healthy for yourself. Um, and you hope to be surprised every time you invite them. And, uh, and if eventually at some point you decide that that's this, another iteration of that is not going to be healthy for you, then maybe it's a, a relationship that you need to let go. But yeah, you can't lead them to it. You can only invite them. And by the way, invitation means, hey, do you want to sit down? But invita invitation also means... Um, practicing being delighted in them, finding ways to delight in what is underneath their opinion before they even um, share it with you. I think that that's a piece of it too. So, Deb W writes, yes, holding lightly, I find I feel way more connected to whomever I'm talking to when I see this person as a fellow traveler through the human experience. And we have so much more that we can agree and connect on than not. Yeah, right? That's, <laughs> I've, I've seen some fantastic writing about how, um, the assumption in our civil discourse at this point is that if you and I disagree on one issue, then we can't really be in conversation or community. Um, and Deb, you're getting at that, that um, we're more than one issue people. We may be one issue voters, but we're more than one issue people, right? So if we can say, wow, our, our opinions really clash in that area, let's get to know each other otherwise. Um, then when we circle back to those clashing opinions, I bet we relate to them in an entirely different way. I bet, I bet it's a totally different experience. Um, we are not one issue people. We are big, complicated stories. <laughs> All right, let's, let's wrap up another great discussion right here for this week. Thanks again, everybody. I'm looking forward to our next discussion, which is going to be about week 23 of the year of Listening, Loving, and Living, and it's entitled, The Most Important Thing to Look For in a Best Friend. Until then, remember, your story is lovable, and so are you. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, Sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. Yeah.